Welcome to The Lydia Project, podcasting conversations with Christian women that you would love to have a coffee with. My name is Tori Walker and in this first episode I travelled down to the Redlands to have a chat with Emma Fuchs, who is in ministry with her husband uh, and a Presbyterian church in the Redlands. We spoke about living authentically, mentoring and cranky June. I hope you enjoy listening. I'm sitting here with Emma Fuchs at the Lighthouse Cafe and the sun is sparkling on the water and there's the sound of people having their conversations around and it's beautiful down here in Redlands. Emma, you love the Redlands. I do love the Redlands. I think that Redlands. Well, I really love that if you're feeling a bit thingy, you only you can go for a run or a bike ride and you're near the water and there's something about the water that just makes you feel like you're on holidays and this park the Cleveland Park was a bit of a favourite when the kids were little. Like it's very nice, and it has toilets, which is important when the kids are little. And a couple of years after we moved here, they filmed the Voyage of the Dawn Treader here. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, not all of it, but they had like a big Dawn Treader built. Yeah, and there were a couple of days we came down with the kids, and there were um, big centaurs kind of fencing on the deck. Yeah, yeah. We moved we moved up from Sydney when I was pregnant with Toby, so eight and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So how many years of study did you do college? I did three years. Lyndon did four, but at the end of three years my brain felt like it was about to fall off. Out. My head was going to fall off and my brain was going to fall yeah. out. Yeah. And then you felt pregnant? No. 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 So we we were married for eight years before we felt, felt pregnant and thought that we probably couldn't have kids. So I did three years at college and then worked at Dremoyne Presbyterian Church doing kind of women's work stuff. And... So I did, I did a year of that and fell pregnant and then kind of did some fertility treatment stuff around that time. And then, yeah, Abby was born. So that must have been a very hard time. Um, I think it was, but I think, I think we had a number of really good friends who were really struggling with it. So I think at that stage we were conscious that it might be an issue and we were conscious that that it probably wasn't going to happen easily, but we were still doing stuff. Do you know what I mean? And, like, it would have been great if I had fallen pregnant, but I was also really keen to study at college. I think we were watching friends of ours really struggle with it and watching them go through IVF and just the cycles of that and the real messing with the head that, I don't know, that just really invasive kind of um, treatments and hormone shots and stuff like that does. And so I think we were kind of hypothetically walking through it. Do you know what I mean? Like, So I feel like I didn't actually go through all the angst, but I was kind of starting to think if this doesn't happen, will I be okay with that? And I will, will I, what will it look like? And 
how will we function if we don't have kids and what will it look like to trust God with that. And you've got three kids? We do. Yep, and they go to the local schools and We do. So Abby is in year five at Thornlands State School and Toby's year two and Theo has just started prep this year. So this is the first year that they're all at school. So here we are having a coffee with our children. I know. <laughs> so do you feel I like you just sort of come through and graduated from a decade of toddlers? Yes and no. Like it's a really funny feeling and I thought, like I was really excited about them all being at school but I think in a way it really messed with my head in ways that I didn't think it would at first term. So I think because there wasn't a job I was going to per se, it kind of meant kind of a tweaking of what I was already doing. So being mum, but now having a couple more hours in the day and being involved at church and being involved at school and just kind of doing life and relationships and stuff like that. It's just messy. And so I think I went through a phase, particularly in first term, where I thought, I can do everything. And I have never felt as busy and stressed as I did in first term because I think I sort of thought, yes, of course I can do everything because I don't do anything. Like I don't have kids at home. I don't work full time. And so I I think I just tried to do too much and it totally messed with my head. And I think it was the grumpiest and most anxious I've been, which is just really stupid. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Well, we still learn about ourselves, don't we? Oh, we do. Oh, thank you so much. Can it fit there? That's all right. Super. Thank you very much. Oh, that was very out of the Kremlin sales, wasn't it? It was. Coffee delivered. So is it is it big enough? Is it tall enough? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that happens not so much in the red lines. Yeah, And in Grumpy June, everyone needs a big coffee. I say. Tell us a bit about Grumpy June. Lyndon and I have a theory. Well, it's not a theory. We're we're pretty sure it's fact. June is Grumpy June. In the Redlands, at least. Maybe it's not anywhere else. But June is the month where I think people are tired, like it's the end of second term and a little bit sick, or they've had toddlers with green snot for a really long time. They're a little bit sleep deprived, a little bit cranky, the days are short. And it's the time of the year where everyone just has, well, not everyone, but if there's a dummy spit that's about to happen, often it happens in grumpy June. We've seen it with our school PNCs. Have you? Yeah, we've mentioned it. Yeah, that's right. Everyone starts with great enthusiasm, energy. This is how we're going to do things, and yes, I can do this. And I've yeah. seen a bit at church, just not so much this year, but um, certainly with our school PNC, yeah, now's the time when people start, oh, we should do this, or, you know, complaining about that. And, you know what, we're all volunteers. That's yeah, yeah. Everybody's in slack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you, you fast-tracked it. You had grumpy February and got it all over and done with, so your life is really balanced now. It so actually like is. That's good. Me, personally. Yeah. No, although I had a dummy spit this morning. So, like, you know, I was. I thought I was doing really well and thought I was being really godly, but I did spit the dummy this morning. And that's the awful thing with my dummy spits. Like, I don't really feel them coming. Do you like, know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think... There are some people that kind of feel themselves getting close to the edge and they know to pull back. Mm. I thought I was doing really well and I thought I was being really kind and really compassionate, 
but I had a big dummy spit this morning. Church often does school holiday clubs. Are you doing one this year? No, we're not because it's grumpy June. No, <laughs> partly because. So we are doing Good News Week, yep. but we're doing more grown-up stuff this year. And I think next year the plan is to do a kids' club again. But we just sort of feel like this year there are a number of key families where people are looking very tired um, and kind of decided – actually, this, this term at church we've been doing a series on just speaking to our friends about Jesus – so rather than waiting for the program to happen, how do we just go about um, talking to the people that we see every day about Jesus in in ways that aren't too scary either for them or for us and in ways that aren't just driven by guilt, so in ways that are a bit more natural. So, yeah, no, we just decided that we had lots of very tired people at church um, and struggling to get people to be in a place where they even feel that they can teach kids church happily um, and just felt like it was maybe just pushing people a little bit too hard, a little bit close to the edge and there's lots of other good stuff happening at church. So we had a really great dinner um, to raise money but particularly for the Karen people, so people living on the Thai Burma border. Now, Em, you have the job, inverted commas, of being minister's wife, mm -hmm. and I know many people would see that as the dream job. I know I certainly did when I became a Christian. Um, tell me, what are some of the things that you love about being a minister's wife? And then I'll ask you, what are the things that people might not know are really hard about being a minister's wife? What do I love? Um, I love, well, I love that our life so easily fits with church life. Do you know what I mean? Like our family life and what we do. Yeah, yeah. All in lots of ways. And it, I, we, I kind of try to have some separation just because, yeah, I think just for mental health for Lyndon and I and also for the kids that they don't kind of feel like, um, that the two are completely together. Do you mean like that? Yeah. But um, I love that our kids love church. So I love I love being involved in people's lives. I love um, I love the special insights that you get. Like I love doing marriage prep with young couples, and I just think that's such a privileged kind of position. Um, I love. Yeah, I love the fact that people um, want to talk with us about stuff that's really important and big for them. I love the fact that we don't have to go, Lyndon and I um, don't have to go and work in other secular jobs and then try and fit church life around the outside. Like it just is kind of the stuff that we've always loved doing. Um, so meeting up with people and reading the Bible and seeing people grow as Christians and stuff like that. Um, and even in Grumpy June, do you still get that sense that that is a privilege? Or is it only, you know, like when I ask you a question, you go, no, I really do love that, I really am glad about that. For me, I think there is that overlap 
do you know what I mean? Like, it's such a privilege to be with God's people and to see people growing as Christians and to weep with them during really big times, um, sad times, and to share life with them at a really intimate level. Um, but then I think you do get tired, do you know what I mean? And so I think the older I get, the more important I think, or the longer I do it, the more important I think it is to make sure that you're living life authentically in that that my relationship with Jesus is vital, that I'm reading the Bible for myself and not just for the next thing I need to do at church. Um, that Lyndon and I are doing well as a couple, that we're spending time with each other and functioning well as a married couple and that I'm just getting enough sleep and enough exercise and being nice to the kids and stuff like that. Well, what are some of the things that you find challenging as a minister's wife? Are there things that you sort of expected or things that are a surprised to you? Uh, I think the things that I love are the things that are hard as well. Do you know what I mean? I think being involved in people's lives is such a privilege, but then sometimes that's sad and hard as well. It's possible to start to think of church as your project rather than Jesus' project and Jesus' church. So I think it's possible to start to think, if I do this, it's kind of like parenting, I guess. If I do this and this and this and invest this much time and run this program and read the Bible with this person, they'll become a really mature person and make really wise decisions and stuff like that. Um, but I was chatting with Christine Jensen at our church camp recently and um, she said, but don't you think God's really patient with us? And if you look back over the, your last 10 years, are there not points where you kind of think, yeah, no, I really haven't grown as much as I would have liked? And so Jesus is that patient with us. I guess we can be patient with other people, can't we? Um, what else is hard? I think, really, I struggle with expectations I put on myself. And I, I don't think that has anything to do with ministry, really. I think it's just that I am a bit of a perfectionist and set expectations for myself, which are a bit stupid. Um, but I think church is actually incredibly gracious and patient and are happy for me to be involved but but understanding when I need to step away. So you're involved in lots of things at your church ministry-wise but also um, ministry things outside of church, mm. various little projects bits. and bits and bobs. What are some of the things that you're involved in that you enjoy or that you think are worthwhile or you're excited by? teach RE at our school which I love yeah. um, there does just seem to be a real openness to wanting to know because I think when kids are that age they are asking questions about life and death and where we all come from and how it all works and if God is there what does he think about things um, and so they're really open to it and the teachers are really happy for me to be there and I just think it's a great opportunity to talk to these kids about Jesus and I'm really um like as I chat to mums because I'm a mum at the school as well chatting with parents their kids their parents are genuinely really happy for their kids to find to go to RE been thinking lately I don't know what you think about this but just in the current climate where there's a little bit of 
um, push back against RE, or I think we're meant to call it RI now. RI. I think we somehow need to communicate to the school and the parents and sort of community how much the kids love RI. Yeah. Because they, like a lot of them really love it. Yeah. And I think if the school especially could hear that the kids love it, then they'd be maybe a bit more supportive when they get a bit of negative pushback. pushback. Yeah. yeah. That's just, yeah, just I'm not quite sure how to yeah, I don't know. sort of words out there. There's just so much kind of worldview forming kind of stuff that happens at primary school. Do you know what I mean? Like when little minds are kind of going, how do I make sense of this? Who made the world? Who's in charge of it? What do I do when I'm sad? They're really big questions that I think as you grow into adulthood, you just stop asking because you realise the implications are really big. Um, yeah. So I don't know. So yeah, RE is the thing, one ministry that I'm involved with that I really love. Um, and that, yeah, that takes up a fair chunk of time, which I really love. Um, what else do I do? I've actually started doing um, a mentoring thing, which I knew nothing about, except that Lyndon has had a mentor for the past, I think it must be like 12 years, 11 or 12 years, just an older um, bloke who he meets up with. And who's just been such a help um, in thinking through, I guess for him particularly, how to do ministry well and to ask him difficult questions about how things are going um, with relationships on um, staff team, but elders and how he's working with elders and putting together um, a vision for where church is going and what he's trying to do and what kind of ministry we're trying to do and stuff like that. And I, I think as a wife, as his wife, I've just appreciated it so much, having someone else to kind of um, bounce things off and someone to ask him how he's going with his prayer life and how someone to ask him how's he going parenting and with things that are stressful um, that come up at different points in ministry and stuff like that. So... Um, when his mentor was up, must have been the start of last year. So his he, mentor doesn't No, he actually lives in Sydney. So we met him while he was in Sydney. And so I think he comes up once or twice a year and they Skype once or twice a year. And then if Lyndon's in Sydney for something, they might catch up. Um, but they have this kind of mammoth three-hour kind of Skype sessions or when Peter's up, they do that. But... um. There was one session that he wanted my kind of input on in terms of time management things and work-life balance and stuff like that. And he said to me at the end of that, um, I'm running this mentoring course, you should totally do it. I was just like, I really don't know what that is. Um, but then I thought, yeah, I would have loved to have had a mentor, particularly first few years of ministry, just kind of thinking what we were doing and how we were spending our time and how we were kind of coping with it all and um, to talk, had to have someone outside of just Linda and I to talk to about um, things that are a bit stressful, kind of relationships to invest in or relationships to kind of let simmer and yeah, things like that. Anyway, so I've started doing this mentoring course which I'm really enjoying and I, I think I'm just starting to get my head around what it is but I think basically it's 
um, basically the women that I'm mentoring are um, fairly new to ministry, either kind of being a minister's wife somewhere in a parish somewhere, where they're just kind of going, what am I doing here? How does this work? Um, what, you know, there are all these opportunities. How do I work out what to do and what not to do? And how do we just kind of do life as a family and things like that? So that's just really lovely. Um, it's really lovely getting to know those women and, and also just nice to be able to be an encouragement because I think in some ways they were quite lonely years, like really exciting and fantastic, but didn't really know what I was doing at all. And so I think just that kind of led to, led to kind of just nervous anxiety about is this stuff that here that I should be doing that I'm just not or yeah. So that's really nice. And then also, um, some younger women who are involved in different ministries, so youth ministry and stuff like that, and thinking about, um, yeah, I guess it's kind of like supervision in a sense, but also, but more than that, yeah. in that it's kind of just chatting about life generally and praying with them. And so you did the course. I'm still doing it. So it's a very... Online or? No, it means, I think, four trips to Sydney yep. each year. So it's run out of Sydney um, and so by a guy named Peter Moore and he works and, and a lady Sally Jones so the two of them do it together yeah and so yeah. doing the course then part of that is you yep. approaching some people and offering to mentor them yeah yeah but do you have a mentor yourself yes I do oh, that's good. yeah yeah, yeah okay. so I do now yeah. so I rang rang this lady that was recommended to me and said I don't really know what this is <laughs> but so yeah, you so didn't know her. no, I didn't. Okay, so has that been strange? Or? It's actually been really lovely, just in that she does know what she's doing. Yeah. Um, but she's just um, she's an older woman, a single woman who has been involved in pastoral ministry for a number of years, and I guess she's ten years older than me. And it's just really nice. I think that's something I find hard about being a minister's wife is that you're expected to be the grown up. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I don't feel like the grown up, and so people come to you and with big issues or they're a bit cranky and they chuck a wobbly and you need to be the grown-up. Do you know what I mean? So it's really yes. nice to have someone else be the grown-up and to kind of go, yeah, I'm struggling with this. And she's – so I feel like I'm still getting to know her, but I feel like she's just been infinitely wise already. And I guess she's sort of someone outside of my immediate situation. Um and so just in terms of perspective. And I was just thinking as you were saying that, that um, in some ways it's strange to have a mentor who doesn't know you at all, but how lovely that the relationship is just her mentoring you. Yeah, yeah. As in, it doesn't have anything else. And it feels around. really indulgent and it selfish. Does, um, yeah. And I pay her, yep. do you know what I mean? Yep. So, and Lyndon pays his mentor. Mm -hmm. Which because I think is totally fair enough because that's yep. like he was working as a minister and then as a theological lecturer and then kind of went, you know what, I, I think that this is the way I can be most useful. Um, and so I think he mentors about 30 guys around Australia who are all in ministry in some form of another or another. Um, I just think, what a useful ministry. Do you know what I mean? Like, just to have someone go, so how are you going? How are you going at reading the Bible? 
how are you going in terms of, you know, what are you doing for fun? Do you have fun? He asked me that and I was just like, fun? Who has fun? Fun is a luxury. And I kind of went, actually, no, it's not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you do your quiet times at the moment? What's working for you? What are you reading at the moment? I feel like, yeah, so come, you asked before about, does it feel like you're coming out of 10 years of, of toddlerdom? And I think that has just been one of the lovely things. So this year um, I bought, uh, I think CEP were selling, um, they're called REAP journals, R-E-A-P. Um, so I think it's read, explore, apply, pray. But it's basically a read through the Bible in a year kind of thing um, with room to kind of reflect on that and journal and pray. So I'm really not a big journaler. Room in the actual book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've just loved this year doing reading through the Bible in a year. Um, and so, yeah, so in first term in particular, I was really struggling with anxiety and it was just lovely at night time, um, particularly when I couldn't sleep and I was awake and my brain was just whizzing um, to read through massive chunks of the Old Testament. So I'm really enjoying that this year. Um, yeah, so that's been really good. Yeah, this podcast gets a website. We'll put that link on the website. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really good. And so I've been reading through two Corinthians this past week. And it's just such a lovely reminder that jazz and play, like ministry is hard work and that's not a surprise. Like if you don't feel like it's all super glorious, that's okay. Yeah. I think we'll finish it there. I think we'll have to call this interview part one because I've got some more questions for you, Emma. I do. You are very interesting. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So much. There is an incredulous look on the face across the table from me. Um, And just as we're finishing off, how beautiful. There are birds flying around behind you and there's a boat that's sailing out to the ocean and it's just a perfect red lens winter day.